A self-driving car needs to be able to quickly respond to changes in driving conditions. A factory needs to be able to quickly respond to changes in workplace safety. For these kinds of applications, we need processing power closer to the user of the application. If we put all of our application logic in the cloud, we're going to have to make network round-trip requests for every request that we send to the cloud. Servers in the cloud are powerful, but so are the computers at the edge. Smartphones, sensors, drones, cars. You can even put servers on-prem, which used to be the norm. Today, edge computing is giving us more computation outside the data center. We're getting towards a world where... You've got compute in the data center that you do some of your compute in, and you've got compute at the edge that you do other types of computing at. And we're going to talk about those different use cases in today's show. Olivier Block works on Microsoft Azure IoT Edge, a set of services for edge computing. Azure IoT Edge includes on-prem versions of Microsoft Azure technologies, these are tools that were previously accessible only in the cloud, and Azure IoT Edge allows you to deploy and host them on-premise. Before we get to today's show, Software Engineering Daily is looking for sponsors for Q3. If your company has a product or a service, or if you're hiring, Software Engineering Daily reaches 23,000 engineers listening daily. You can send me an email, jeff at softwareengineeringdaily.com, if you've got something interesting and you're looking to sponsor the show. With that, let's get to this episode, IoT Edge with Olivier Block. Olivier Block is a program manager with the IoT Edge team on Microsoft Azure. Olivier, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you, Jeff. So over the past 10 years, we have seen a lot of computation shift from on-premise to the cloud. And over the next 10 years, it looks like we're going to see even more growth in cloud, but also growth in devices at the edge. And today, these are things like sensors in a factory or your internet-connected refrigerator or your smartphone. And there's going to be growth in drones and self-driving cars and all of these things are computers, and they have spare computation power. So this means that we can push computation to the cloud or to these devices. So generally speaking, when we have this huge array of different types of devices in the world, as well as this cloud that is this giant area of computation, how do we decide where to put our computation? So um, it, it all depends and go, comes down to the type of scenario we're implementing. So just to go back on what you just mentioned, I think that the, the evolution over the last 10 to 20 years on, on the device side of things has been more um, about actually having these devices being more and more powerful and more and more smart and more and more connected because the capabilities of the uh, microcontrollers, these little tiny computers running there, as well as the price of memory going down, what we've seen is a huge growth in terms of what these devices could do. And um, at the time where it was not powerful enough to actually make decisions based on data or store enough data to do analytics on that data, um, obviously the cloud has been here to the rescue to handle all these compute and storage tasks. And now what we're seeing is that the device side of things has become such that it's not possible to start distributing your intelligence. It's not so much about doing a back and forth, it's actually about doing the right thing at the right place. And now because these devices are more powerful, what you can start doing is not send all the data to a remote compute unit. You can actually now start doing things here locally on your device. And you can specialize these tasks for what the device is doing. And so I think when it comes to, hey, where should I run what? It very much uh, comes down to what is your scenario? What is it trying to achieve? Where are the critical aspects of your solution? 
And this is where actually you enter into this kind of discussions. And uh, typically a question you will ask yourself is, <laughs> do I need and do I want to pay all that bandwidth to send all that telemetry data to the cloud? Because in a nominal situation, everything goes well, I might not need that data. What I need is actually to receive information when something goes wrong. In which case, you ask a question to yourself, which is, hey, can I de determine that something is wrong down at the edge on the device or not? And this is where you start asking, hey, can I run the specific algorithm down close to the sensors uh, or do I need to run it in the cloud based on how much data and how much power I have locally? So then it comes down to to that uh, scenario-based uh, you know, uh, context that you have. I have done these shows with Netflix and I talked to Netflix about building their scheduler and they build, a, they build schedulers essentially entirely for cloud resources. So just if you're looking at a data center and you've got this number of machines that are available and you've got this number of jobs that you need to get done, you allocate these jobs to these machines because this is the way that needs to get done. And that in and of itself is a highly complex process. But here you're talking about uh, a, 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 this is a much richer set of problems because, uh, well, for one, there's just more sensitivity to, or there's a wider range of sensitivity to the the tasks that need to get done. I mean, uh, in Netflix, you know, there's there's pretty good failover for a lot of the scenarios. Like you can just fail over to the default, and it's like, okay, you've got an index of movies, and you just need to be able to play movies. And most of the scheduling that they're doing is like, how do we forecast what movie to recommend to somebody? But if you're talking about IoT, you're talking about forecasting, okay, is there going to be a, a car in the road uh, in the next 10 feet? Or uh, is there a safety hazard on my, uh, on my construction site? And these are things where you need uh, a much higher degree of sensitivity. So... What changes in this world when we have these higher demands on the processing systems and the machine learning stuff? Because um, it seems like we need a different type of scheduling strategy. So I think you're actually lighting a very interesting scenarios here. Um, what is key here to solving these kind of issues is exactly what I mentioned, which is running the compute on the data in the, at the right place at the right moment. So for the scenario of detecting um, issues or problems and foreseeing uh, problems such as uh, in a car situation or in an industry um, situation like a factory floor, you need to have reaction times that are very low. I mean, you need to, to instantly react. But based on what? Yeah, you have, you have option one, which is actually you have sensors locally, and you can pre-configure thresholds. And so your device is powerful enough to say, hey, when that value goes above that, let's stop everything. And it's kind of binary. There's not a lot of refinement in terms of what can be done in terms of reaction. So the other option is to have some bigger unit doing the compute for you based on a bunch of data. So then you enter into that idea of, hey, let's push all the data from all these vehicles, for example, or all these robots in the factory floor. Let's push them all to the cloud and have some rich uh, machine learning algorithm being trained based on all that data. And then you have a model that can be applied to real-time data and detect these anomalies and eventually react. However, you still have in that situation, the round trip to the cloud, which is a problem in terms of the latency, in terms of reaction time. So now, with technologies such as Azure IoT Edge that we just announced, you can think of starting distributing that. So if you need to have a specialized model on specific data to be executed, to be run as close as possible to that data, you can train the model in the cloud and then deploy it at the edge on the devices. And this is actually uh, the type of complex scenarios that, that we are trying to solve, um, allowing a, a continuous training of these models based on a lot of data that goes to the cloud, but then leveraging these compute units that can be run on the devices at the edge to execute these very specialized models that have been trained up there and, and reduce latency time, have reaction happening at the edge. But having reaction is no longer based on thresholds and 
I would say, dumb type of limits or pre-configured and hard-to-update type of limits. This is something that actually will be happening on very smart algorithms that will that will be executed super fast because they're very much optimized. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is, how do you manage all of that? Because updating software on a device, we know how to do that, but it's complex, it's hard, it's long, and it's tedious, and you have all the security aspect of it to take into account as well. You don't want some random software to end up into your uh, car controllers, right? And so at the end of the day, um, beyond the the capability, the ability to run compute services at the edge, what actually is also a big value and, and helps the customers right now, because that's what they need and looking for, is a way to manage that intelligence, a way to deploy it, a way to update it, all of that in a secure way, and all of that controlled through an interface which is very practical from everywhere, which is the cloud. And so this is actually, there's two aspects. The runtime on the devices <laughs> capable of running that intelligence, and all that orchestration and management of both the devices and which um, which entities are running on these devices that is key and and basically that is exactly what developers are looking for and and our customers are are searching and and, and in need right now so i saw you at microsoft build and there were a number of presentations about manufacturing and construction companies at build they were talking about IoT and these companies are they're typically outfitting their machinery with lots of sensors and they want to do predictive analytics they want to do predictive maintenance they've got a lot of old technology and they're often integrating newer technology with the old technology what's the process for deploying something like an Azure IoT solution? Like, how do you onboard them? So, um, we actually um, are seeing that, and we, we have, like, uh, different names for that. The, the, the area where some customers already have an existing, we call that the brownfield, and, and when they are going new with a new type of project, it's greenfield. So, brownfield is most of the situation. When you think today about, uh, typically, the industrial automation scenarios, when someone builds a robot and someone buys a robot, actually, they're expecting that to be working for the next 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, they don't want to change that every, uh, every and then, and now and then. And so, um, when it comes to these kind of scenarios, these devices locally already have have tons of sensors that are basically um, feeding into equipment such as PLCs that are like kind of local computers uh, that do all that work of processing real-time data and taking action based on complex configuration of thresholds and so on. So the first step for this kind of customers is to apprehend the fact that you can integrate into your IoT infrastructure, existing infrastructure, um, a gateway or a set of devices that will act as, uh, you know, their interface to a broader system. And when I say broader system, I, I think about the cloud as one entity to be to be connected to. But you can think as well about uh, about private cloud solutions, on-premise type of clouds, or their own infrastructure. Because actually, there's also the need to eventually hook up these machines and these infrastructure into their own line of business applications. You know, to to trigger maintenance, optimize their um, their customer relationship management and things like that. So the first step is really to look into how can I inject into that infrastructure smart and connected devices that will, on on one hand, get the data from these devices, send them to that cloud entity or, or backend, allow for for an analytics uh, using very advanced services uh, on that data, and then take action by re-injecting commands down to the devices. So that interface with brownfield infrastructure is done through gateways, it's done through protocol translators and things that that, um, that we have in our portfolio that can help the customers, um, let's say, cloudify their existing solutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's the other type of customers where we're actually starting fresh, and in that case, it's even easier um, in terms of implementing a solution because, yeah, they start fresh and these devices will will themselves be connected and smart enough to do some number of things. Uh, but both scenarios, both both type of approaches are, are addressed here. And, and we definitely have in mind the fact that customers are not always starting fresh. And so that brownfield type of scenario is key. Uh, it's, it's actually 
very much more than just adding a Wi-Fi chip on an existing, uh, you know, machine. Um, security is something that these customers have to take into account very seriously because uh, they were on the closed environments. They were like totally safe in their environment and were able to have a full control. But now they need to think security. They need to lock things down. And this is where they can benefit from an infrastructure and, and tools and SDKs that give them that security out of the box. Uh, so I would say this is definitely the, the, the two, the two angles to look into. How do you extend an existing solution and how you lock down um, securely, uh, you know, all the connectivity and so forth. So when I think about manufacturing and construction companies, these are the kinds of companies that I imagine as being slow to the cloud, similar to banking or finance where or healthcare, where they say, we're not so sure about this whole cloud thing. But what you just said there made that argument a little more rational to me because essentially what they would have to do to go onto the cloud is open up some endpoints that expose them to what feels like a riskier situation than just running this, uh, I guess, what they would have run in the past, which is kind of like an intranet where they have complete control over everything. Exactly. And and actually, this is something that can be done in a very bad and, and fast way, which is like not securing all of that. And and we've seen in the recent past that this is not really a good idea. Uh, but this is definitely one of the factors that uh, makes these industries not slow, but but more cautious in terms of adopting the cloud. Because um, if, if you get it wrong, because if you get it wrong, you get ransomware. Well, you get this kind of things. Yes, if you get it wrong, you can get in big trouble. You can lose data. You can actually have, uh, you know, man middle type of attacks and things that actually can compromise your business, um, and and um, and privacy and and all these aspects of things. And so this is that aspect which is kind of a uh, slowing them down. But they're they're getting to it and they're learning that it can be done safely. It can be done securely, uh, and and. For that, they need to have the right tools, the right infrastructures. The other aspect to that, uh, to that, um, you know, not slowness, I would say, but I would qualify that as cautionness. Um, these customers are very cautious, and and the other reason is sovereignty of data, um, where uh, where basically for lots of them, the core of their business is around IP that they built around data. So a good example could be. The one we showed at um, at Build with Sandvik Coromont, which is that company building this uh, um, high quality and precision metal cutting machines, and uh, what's happening is that what what they have a business on today is, or yesterday, what they had a business on was on having these very advanced and efficient machines. But they're not the only ones able to do that now, so they're shifting their business model to provide services for having a better efficiency at how these machines are used. And so basically they gather a lot of information from all these machines that are across the world in these factories, on these factory floors. And what they do is they determine what's the best use uh, for for these machines and tools, and uh, and basically feed their customers with that information, tell, like suggesting when to use what and where to use that tool versus the uh, this other one, and how to reuse that tool while it's not used on that machine on that other machine down there that is not running at the moment, and things like that. So basically, optimizing workflows and optimizing production. So they're now s- shifting their model to we still build very advanced machines. But we also sell the service, and that makes the value of these new of these machines, which is the service that comes with them, that last to save to save a lot of operational money. Um, and so they they are they are actually differentiating from their from their competitors thanks to this kind of solutions. Mm-hmm. And so this is this is another shift which is very hard for them, which is switching their business model and and being able to face competition in a different way. And this is very hard for lots of industry actually. For some of these companies, the term machine learning, all that means is maybe gathering analytics, gathering data on, let's say, just some atmospheric check, like the amount of gas, of a particular type of gas in an area of a factory, and being able to 
respond to that. And simply, if you have enough of a certain gas in an area, maybe you send a signal to shut a door somewhere or open a vent somewhere, and you know maybe it's it's learning to predict what like uh, what are the 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 factors that lead to that kind of gas being in the air. So it could be something very simple like that. And then there are much more complex models that these kinds of companies would want to build. What are these companies asking for in the way of machine learning? So it's it's actually um, different type of things. Um, the first one they're asking for is because machine learning is complex. I mean, like, let's just say it. It's hard. I mean, it takes data scientists to determine models and, and work on them. And the other the other aspect of it is of the complexity is that data scientists might not know a domain of application of data. And so there is a need for a collaboration between what the in- industry is is used to and the data they have and they own and they know how to use it and what it means and so forth. And uh, and and the data scientists they need to make sense of that data through rich algorithms um, through through machine learning uh, runtimes and, and 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 compute powers. But at the end of the day, um, the, the the, the thing that the customer is asking is, is simplicity in the complex world that machine learning is about. So first thing, a set of things that they, they want is a set of simple APIs. And when you think about cognitive services on Azure, this is exactly what it is. As in, if you want to detect anomaly on timestamp data that is sent over, you can actually apply specific anomaly uh, detection algorithms calling one API, one REST API, you send a buffer of data, and this model, this machine learning entity, will learn from the data you're sending and will respond with anomaly detection alerts. And a long time, this algorithm will just learn, keep on learning. The more data you send, the more it will learn, and on its own will be able to determine even better the anomalies. Um, you have other algorithms that could be accessible through APIs, such as face recognition, voice recognition, and other. These are just the samples, the examples, sorry, to come to mind that talk to everyone, but there's plenty of other ones. So having machine learning service in the form of cognitive services in terms of simple APIs solves a lot of the problems Customers have mm. the the other one is the possibility of running these algorithms somewhere else than just in the cloud. Actually, and this is this is new. This is also something that might have like slowed down people adopting these algorithms. Um, <laughs> the the ability to train these models, train these APIs in an infrastructure uh, such as a cloud, super easy, you have plenty of nice tools and you can benefit from existing libraries and APIs. And then you extract some of that, the specialized part of it, the thing that you really need for your machine or your solution, and then bring that down to the edge. And and this is actually some the, the other thing that customers are looking for in, in machine learning, which is making their devices smarter, but not just thanks to a cloud entity that does all the work, also by running specialized algorithms down at the edge. Okay, so you mentioned a few really interesting things there. The first was that this was like this this video that uh, Microsoft showed during the keynote where when you're referring to these cognitive services, there were a couple scenarios that Microsoft displayed at Build where it was totally new to me, and this is a really interesting idea, but basically you have cameras throughout your construction site or throughout your factory, and if there is a situation that needs fixing, then the cameras can detect it. So, for example, oops, somebody left that bandsaw out, and if if that's in, if that's in the wrong area, somebody's going to trip over it, that's a safety hazard, and the cameras can identify that safety hazard and notify somebody, hey, pick up that saw somewhere. <clears throat> you can also identify people on the construction site who you want to remove from the construction site. So that's that's one part. I mean, you mentioned the cognitive services thing, and, and I, I think this is like uh, slightly related to to the IoT edge stuff, but... Um, I think we should we should talk more about the machine learning stuff. Anyway, I just wanted to comment on that because yep. you mentioned the cognitive services stuff, and I had seen yep. all that facial recognition and image recognition stuff that Microsoft showed. Basically, how how you can apply that to something like a construction site, and I thought this was just fantastic. Yep. And it was so you know you 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 see all this 
stuff like, oh, here's how you can apply better filters to Snapchat or to face some Facebook thing. And it's like, cool, that's a nice use of facial recognition. But here we're talking about a real-time uh, way to respond to potentially dangerous incidents on a construction site. I think that's just fantastic. And as a matter of fact, a matter of fact, tying back to to Edge, the the, the actual demo and scenarios being showcased um, that you're describing was leveraging Azure Stack, which is which is um, an Edge solution to run beefy huge services down on premise. Mm. Because uh, one thing that is hard to do with video like that, imagine like the scenario where you have all these cameras to secure that construction sites. Uh, you have to have good coverage in terms of video if you want to yeah. have visibility on all the tools that are around and all the safety hazards that can be can be seen and so once you have that coverage imagine the amount of data that these cameras yeah. are, are sharing wow. and so now if you have if you if you cannot do that if you don't have smarts and intelligence at the edge because you cannot stream all these cameras on one single GSM connection or whatever it is or it will cost a lot of money with like super expensive uh, you know um, fiber uh, optic type right. of connections and so basically now because you're able to bring intelligence at the edge where where the devices and sensors are you can still leverage the power of machine learning cognitive service in the cloud because it runs locally because you're able to execute these algorithms there then you can do these very advanced scenarios you don't you don't rely anymore on a round trip to the cloud on very expensive bandwidth usage now we can enable these scenarios that previously were not possible not from the te technical perspective because actually since since like video recognition exists since OpenCV libraries, open source, uh, doing it, it's not hard. Right. The problem is doing, doing it on hundreds of cameras <laughs> at the same time and determining actual interesting and relevant information and take action on time to actually avoid the dangerous scenarios, avoid incidents and, and go beyond the liability problems that could incur in using such a system, then it requires having things running at the edge. Hence the importance of having this, you know, uh, intelligent cloud um, supported by an intelligent edge. Well, and, what, you know, from the business side of things, what's so great about this is this is totally in Microsoft's wheelhouse. Like the idea of we're going to sell you some computers and you're going to use those computers on premise to do your work. That's what Microsoft has been doing for a very long time. And here is yet another scenario where it makes sense for Microsoft to say, hey, let's sell you something that works really well on premise. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like this is, this is not new. I mean, uh, both from us and from others, actually, uh, the model definitely works really well, and we developed a lot our our, our work in the in the cloud um, in the late years, um, and we are complementing that mm -hmm. work with something we've been really good in experience with, uh, you know, which is all the edge activity. Um, just as a reminder, my, my previous slides before uh, my, my, my Microsoft life, uh, I was a, a developer in the embedded space. And some of the best embedded operating systems at the time were, were uh, Windows CE and Windows XP embedded, mm -hmm. things that, that actually were working super well. Uh, being smaller, competentized version of Windows and um, real-time for Windows CE and able to power machines uh, and still have all the security, all the management connectivity and ease of developing apps for. This has evolved to a point where actually we, we saw a big interest in working more on the cloud, but now we're re you can see we're reconciling the both and we're actually now leveraging all our strengths and definitely it makes sense for Microsoft, but in general, anyways, it makes sense to have this intelligent cloud actually being um, extended with an intelligent edge. This is what customers are asking for. This is exactly the type of scenarios that, that they're, they want to implement or try to implement today. When you're selling a service, well, okay, the idea of a company that has cameras all throughout their factory or all throughout their construction site do they already have these cameras up and running or do you need to sell them an entire camera system and that's compliant with Windows? What exactly do you have to do for that process? Yeah, so for that very specific uh, service um, that has been presented in that demo, I, I don't know the details okay. myself. Right. My, understanding, my understanding at that level is that they work with regular 
uh, camera that have a decent uh, video quality. Yeah. Um, because actually what's happening is that they don't require to have a special connectivity to the cloud themselves. They don't need to have a special, um, you know, um, compression algorithms because you don't need to compress for sending the data. It's all local. And so basically you, you can do that with very simple cameras because you don't need to have all of that in the camera wow. because you don't need to send the data compressed mm -hmm. or, or, or already pre-filtered. Mm -hmm. It's happening at the edge. It's happening down there. So you just like send the raw feed of the camera to the stack instance that has all these services running and you do your analytics on that stream of data down there. Uh, it's not saying that it doesn't require some beefy set of, of servers and computers to be, to be installed down there, but you save yourself from the round trip to the cloud or from huge amount of bandwidth to be used and you save yourself from having to have very advanced cameras that do treatment uh, you know themselves of that image so my understanding is that this service actually will be able to leverage very non-expensive cameras. I don't know about situations where people uh, already have cameras deployed, but I think this is definitely something that we have in mind. So let's say I've got cameras all throughout my factory, and all these cameras are feeding video data into my some computer instance somewhere that's running Azure Stack, I guess? Is that what's happening? So what is Azure? Yeah, yeah that's, that's what is Azure Stack doing? What is and what's the software stack? Is it Windows? What's going on there? So Azure Stack is actually um, think of it as Azure, an instance of Azure running on your own machines. So basically, you have a tinier version of what Azure can do, and there's a set of services already supported on Stack that run today on Azure that you can run on Azure Stack. Uh, not all of them are available, uh, but uh, as we we as we move forward with Azure Stack, you're able to run more of them. So so. When you think about edge intelligence, Azure Stack is, is one of the options for when you have the, the infrastructure to run a, f a full instance of Azure. So, so typically you can run, uh, you know, these are powered by, by VMs. Um, and the fact that it's Windows, Linux doesn't matter because that's a cloud instance that you're running locally. Uh, if you don't have that kind of infrastructure or don't want to invest in that, and you, you don't have that need of running full-blown services or all of them or huge quantity of data, now you can think of Azure IoT Edge as a lighter solution that still enables you, allows you to run analytics at the edge on tinier devices. So there's that kind of complementarity between uh, Azure Stack and IoT Edge where IoT Edge is that tinier devices type of, of targets and Azure Stack offers you the big big guns, I would say, um, on-premise. So in the case of the cameras, we're talking Azure Stack, we're talking about full-blown cognitive services running at the edge on Azure Stack servers in your, in your factory floor in that case. And can you talk more about the operating system? I guess I don't know much about what... Azure, what Azure would even be running in the cloud to, to host yeah. that information, host those services? This is a, a um, you basically would have um, a runtime that basically is based on, on Windows and that allows you to run platform as a service services. So basically, you don't need to care about VMs and all, and all of that. I mean, you, you can run a VM up there if you want to, but the idea is to offer these services as pass. And so you have a platform that, that uh, has a set of APIs, a set of services there. The fact that they run on that or another is, is you know, the, the, the what's inside Azure itself. Um, it's based on, on Windows VMs. Uh, you don't have to deal with the scaling. You don't have to deal with the elasticity. You don't have to care about the load balancing. That's what the Azure Stack offers you, which is the, the peace of mind regarding the infrastructure. It's not like you just have a set of servers you have to manage yourself. You have Azure that does that orchestration, load balancing, and so forth. So if I'm getting all this IoT data, let's say I want to store all of it. Like Let's say I want to store all of my video data or all of my centrifuge data or all of the data on the atmospheric information throughout my factory, what kind of database do I use to store all that data? I'm, I'm not aware about exactly what's supported today. We can look mm. online about um, Azure Stack. There's going to be um, storage services uh, supported there. 
And uh, the various databases that are supported when you look at what Azure has gives you a good idea what Azure Stack will support. It goes all the way from SQL type of databases to NoSQL ones. Um, there's that new thing that we call Cosmos DB, yeah. uh, which is uh, which is uh, yeah, which is uh, uh, NoSQL type of database yeah. that you can leverage. Um, in in the cloud itself, there is Data Lake that actually uh, is able to make sense of all these various types of databases and data sources. Uh, so there's plenty of options um, mm. and, and basically there's no one that would tell you hey you have to use that or that okay. it's very much based on your scenario what do you need is it performance is it accessibility mm. is it uh, you know so it's definitely is there available for you to use uh, based on your scenario and your choices okay so when we're talking about training and deploying machine learning models uh What's the? I mean, is this? Does this all take? If I'm if I'm a big factory, am I doing some of this machine learning workflow on prem and some like I'm offloading to Azure Cloud or what's the? Yeah, what would I do there? So um, usually, if you're ready, so if you already have, which is like lots of cases out there, um, your own data scientists working on your data because that's your business model or because you're optimizing workflows and things like that based on that. Very often, basically today, um, these data scientists use technologies such as R and other ones that um, uh, they they are supported in, in the cloud. What you benefit from if you start doing that in the cloud is the scale. Basically, you're not limited to what your local hardware can do and can store. Now you have the unlimited storage and limited compute of the of the cloud, which means that you can train your models even better because you can augment the amount of data that these models use for training. You can also accelerate at what pace these models uh, are trained. And so basically you can leverage the cloud to make that process even better, refine these models. You can also leverage other you know models coming from the libraries that we have up there for cognitive source and others and extend them with with uh, with our tools um, and then when it comes to the execution of a model or the use of a model because you know in machine learning you have these two um, these two aspects of your model which is the training where you reserve a por- portion of the data that's coming in uh, for for training and then you have the execution of that model on the data to do that real-time analytics or that predictive maintenance or, or these kind of things um, and and basically the ability to leverage and edge entity to run this model that has been trained in the cloud is is actually very practical for reducing the latency the response times uh, for optimizing on 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 the machines and so basically you can leverage now the two words you can have this world of like unlimited uh, compute and storage of the cloud and and then uh, make the most of that very optimized models all the way down to the edge to optimize on something else you could also if you're if you have a network of factories, you could have all the different IoT data from your different factories being uh, crossed and measured against each other in the cloud. Exactly. You multiply, basically, potentially, you multiply the sources of information. And so the more the more information a, a, a machine learning uh, model has for training, the better trained it is. Uh, because you multiply the situation, you multiply the patterns the models are exposed to and so basically you multiply the chances for that model to to learn more about the mm-hmm. data so having data coming from lots of places is ideal and you can imagine that you have like patterns that have been identified in one factory that uh, you know are, are, are uh, a way to predict they're going to have the same problem in another one you could have a machine that's been positioned in the wrong place in the factory floor because that's next to a big fan that is actually uh, blowing very, very hot hair onto it and it's going <laughs> to fail. And then you can determine that uh, it's not because this machine was uh, having a problem. It's because it was not well positioned in that factory because the same machine in another factory doesn't have the problem. And the only difference is location in the factory. So you can actually, because you gather data from many sources, you can um, you can make most uh, you can make way more uh, out of the data. The other thing, which is very important as well for the customers, is to differentiate their business to to grow their business. Uh, 
doing things such as just selling the, the metal cutting machines we're talking about to go into a business where you can actually have services sold mm -hmm. to your customers with the machines helps you differentiate your business, augment and grow your business. So because you have the ability of gathering all that information from the various factory floors from your customers and then mix and match that data and re-offer that uh, matched data or analyzed data as a service back to your customers, now you're able to offer that value on top of your original you know, business. So if I'm a, uh, let's say I'm a, a factory and I'm collecting all this data on my centrifuges, maybe I can resell that data to some data broker who aggregates information about centrifuges. That could totally be that could totally be a, a, a mm, use case or something. Pretty interesting. Yes, yes. and I, and actually. Um, the, the one I was thinking about and describing it, it's, it's, is actually a scenario that our customers are, are, are implementing, which is more about, you know, when I'm, I'm selling these machines, rather than just selling the machines, let me gather the data they're, they're producing. Uh, like, for example, we have customers that are building coffee machines, like professional brewing machines um, that are visible in, in some uh, coffee shops here and there. And so these machines, just being locally logging some information is not good enough uh, because very often they, they fail for someone to be sent for maintenance um, or sometimes you send someone to do a maintenance on a machine that doesn't need to be to be maintained. And so basically having this machine starting, you know, sending their data, then not only you sell the machine, but then you say, hey, you know what, for that monthly subscription, I'm going to optimize your maintenance and it's no longer going to be about one guy coming every month to you. It's going to be when it needs to come. And the other thing is on the usage of the, of other customers, I'll be able to to provide some predictive information about your own machine here, and I'll be able to tell you, you know what, you should turn your machine off at night because actually other customers who are doing that, they're saving that amount of money. And so basically now you enter into that relationship with your customer, which is no longer just about selling and maintaining a machine. It becomes a joint venture of optimizing the business of that coffee shop and, and saving money in other areas. And so that could be uh, you know a trade and, and a customer might be willing to go with your coffee machine because because it comes with that additional service with it. And so you have this kind of new type of businesses and relationships that can be built. So the world that we've been discussing with the construction sites or the factories, this is a world where the the model of computation is still pretty well-defined. So it's kind of a client-server model where you've got the client, uh, the client is the entire intranet of the factory. It's the uh, the the cameras that are feeding into the Azure Stack server, and you've got some sensors around your factory and stuff like that. And then at certain for certain use cases, as the Azure Stack on-prem thing is going to communicate with the cloud and do some stuff. Um, that's that's pretty well defined. I can see like a lot of really good use cases there. I can also see a lot of room for growth. Um, what do you think of the self-driving car and? drone space because this is this is a little less well defined because we've got we're going to have these uh things that are just flying around or driving around where they're going to have intermittent connections and we've also got our smartphones of course this is a, a a different model of edge computing because there is such a dynamic uh mesh of different devices that are moving around uh, are you starting to think about this space as well well, definitely, and and I think that the elements that you mentioned are, are spot on, which is um, the the new problematics that that these um, these areas are are bringing the non non continuous connectivity, um, the the interaction. You didn't mention that one, which is pretty key, which is the interaction between these entities and devices. Um, because when you're offline, and like typically think about the drones, two drones are flying in the air, um, they're going to enter into collision mode. Uh, well, they need to negotiate in terms of, hey, are you turning right or am I turning right? And so um, there is a, a few things that will need to happen there uh, and, and basically are happening because we are involved, other companies are involved, and we want to define uh, you know, a, a common ground uh, for implementing the right things. 
Um, the edge intelligence helps a lot. Like think about when you are able to uh, download or to actually deploy onto drones new set of models for that kind of interaction with other entities around them. Or, you know, if you want to, you've learned a new pattern based on temperature and pressure and wind and, you know, location of obstacles. And then you say, wow, if I could actually have that deployed now, I would, I would prevent like lots of, uh, of drone wreckages. Uh, and then you're able to do that thanks to the edge intelligence deployed from the cloud. Um, but you don't need the device to be permanently connected because now it can run that model locally. And then you have that communication. Uh, we have more and more sensors, more and more technologies uh, that we're looking into. You have uh, technologies about um, you know, low battery, low consumption networking. You have technologies about um, very fast throughput uh, for data, um, which was LTE 5 and things like that. So um, basically, all these new technologies accrue to making these scenarios possible. And, uh, and having drones, having uh, self-driving cars. In terms of pure technologies, this is not new. In terms of the means for making it happen, this is where things are new. Uh, and, and the aggregation of all these technologies, we're looking very closely. We are working on that uh, on our own and with partners and with customers uh, to make these happen. Uh, so, so, you know, there's nothing to announce here, but uh, there will be no surprise mm. that we are working with these partners in these areas. Uh, and uh, and when you see that we showcase cars, we showcase things like that, it's because we've, we're involved in that world. It's not new. Um, you heard about Ford Sync in the past, and we have plenty of interactions in cars. And now we're working more and more on providing a back-end a cloud with intelligence, the predictive maintenance, and so forth. Uh, and obviously, we'll come to working on these devices that communicate with each other and are able to interact and, and create these new types of scenarios. It would be crazy to think about today, but that will be totally normal for our kids in a few years from now. Help me expand my understanding of the kinds of businesses that are being built with IoT-related technologies. Can you talk about some of the success stories or some of the interesting cases that you've worked with on the Azure IoT team? Um, so there are some uh, very interesting ones. Uh, I, um, I remember like um, one around working um, with Schneider on... Uh, optimizing the energy consumption on remote sites in Africa uh, for schools and other uh, buildings like that. Um, in, in situations that are complex and they're actually uh, remote and that are uh, hard uh, in terms, and harsh, I would say, in terms of environment, uh, having the ability to analyze the data uh, that is that is generated by by uh, in that case it was HVAC systems and and other sensors in these buildings you were able to optimize the use and the consumption of that rare energy down there and allow then these buildings to be used by inhabitants for you know storing food for uh, schooling for all these kind of things um, so you have this kind of like very uh, nice looking type of project but then um, I can think about scenarios uh, that are more practical I would say um, such as the San Vicormont example where a company was that was quote unquote just building uh, you know, uh, high precision industrial machines. Uh, now they're selling services along with them. Uh, they expanded their business and they, they, they went onto that thanks to the IoT scenarios that are not possible with the connectivity, with the smart in, in, in intelligent cloud and so forth. Um, th th we can, we can list a lot of them. Um, uh, and, and they're very often in the vein of, hey, I had this bunch of devices, they were pretty dumb, doing nothing, but now, because I'm able to make sense of the data they're producing, now I can do A, B, or Z, uh, or C, and, and basically I'm able, to, I'm able to do new things thanks to that. Uh, and I was always making fun uh, about, you know, hey, IoT is that new thing. It's not new. It's been like we've been doing connected devices since like 20 years ago. We've been doing smart devices 10 years ago. Um, we've been doing connected devices 5 to 10 years ago. 
And um, the difference right now is that we find a name for it, and we do have machine learning AI that are coming to to into the fray of these scenarios. They're bringing that intelligence that allows making sense out of data and and taking action, which is that second step, and that brings things back to the human to to that interaction that uh, we need to have with these with these machines for that these scenarios to be viable. Uh, and so this is very much the way I see that the future going towards, which is uh, having a richer interface with, with the humans um, and, and having actually the humans taking a greater part in these scenarios than, than we think. Because we, we very much often think about IoT is going to replace humans, going to kill jobs. And I, I'm convinced, on the other hand, that it's going to be the opposite because we actually will optimize that interaction, will make the human more efficient, and will make that interaction you know, more beneficial uh, at many levels. Um, so this is this is my vision about the future. I'm an optimistic, and and uh, I love what I'm seeing. I think it goes super fast. Uh, it's very impressive how technology in that area is growing, and how we are seeing now the the merge or the overlap of these technologies: AI on one side, IoT developing on the other one, um, the communication technologies on the other one. So all of that comes into place. Um, there's an area we didn't mention, which is actually totally integrated, which is all the mixed reality and augmented reality. Uh, there, are, there are domains that totally align, complement, go along with IoT and AI. Um, if you combine all of that, you have what our very near future will look like. And where does that take you? Me personally? or. Well, I- <laughs> I think the movies we're seeing are are not even close to what it's going to be. I mean, the 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 seamless interaction with your environment yeah. and with things that are not even like close to you, um, whether they're devices, whether they're people, whether they're uh, you know services, um, all that interaction will become more and more seamless. And uh, where where honestly I see things going is um, to a place where where these put together will make our lives easier and simpler and uh, will allow us to spend quality time on important things. Uh, and so I, I like to think that uh, that where we're going is, is, is it, it might sound a bit cheesy, but uh, towards a better world uh, based, on, based on the fact that um, these systems will support the humans uh, to, to, to do better with, with everything we're doing. I'm with you. I agree. I think that's where we're going to. Okay, well, Olivier, thanks for coming on Software Engineering Daily. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I, I enjoyed meeting you at uh, Microsoft Build. Well, thanks for having me, and I uh, hope we talk soon. 